Amazing. Does that, does that remind you of churches you've been to, Malcolm? Uh, I, I wish I had been in those services. <laughs> oh, dear. I, honestly. Uh, anyway. That's amazing. Well, we're curious to know where you guys are from. So um, if you wouldn't mind raising a hand, um, letting us know. Um, who is an Anglican here? Ooh. Oh, actually, while your hands are up, if you... <laughs> Always the preacher. We made you charismatic. Going no, for a response. And if you have an empty seat beside you, could you now put your hand up, please? Because we have standing room only all over the place. That'd be great. There's two at the front here. Uh, folk are allowed to come and stand around us as long as they have banners that say Malcolm and Vicky. That's fine. If you keep your hand up until somebody comes uh, and fills that space. If you guys down there are interested in a seat, feel free to come and grab one. If, if not, feel free not to. People arriving, there's seats next to hands. This is not an altar call. This is all about I you. see that hand. God bless you. Anyone else? I see that hand. God bless you. There's a lot of commitments here. I see that hand. I tell you, this will be in Spring Harvest News tomorrow morning. <laughs> Fantastic. Great. People start, uh, yeah, taking those seats. Brilliant. Anybody else looking for a seat who doesn't have one? This is your big chance to be seated. Anybody with a seat next to them still, lift a hand. I think we're almost full now. We've got one seat in the very front. Come and on one down. At the, back. the price is right. Have you got one beside you as well? Yeah, there are three or four there. Yeah. There's one there. One at the back. Put your hand up again. There you are. One back there. Lady in purple. Any more seats? Any more seats? Declare them now. There's one over there. One there. <coughs> Brilliant. So, uh, who here is a Baptist? Kind of half. Half, half raise, just a little bob. Um, Methodist? My goodness. Rowdy. Um, New Frontiers? Uh. Woo! <laughs> Be thinking Pioneer? Anything else? Yes, Pente charismatic Pentecostal. Pentecostal, Pentecostal. Shout out what kind of church from? Ah. Mm -hmm. URC, any URCs? Perfect. Elam? 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 <laughs> Brilliant. And, and who here is involved in um, being in the worship team in a sort of up the front leadership style sort of thing? Who here is involved in being in the congregation but singing with great passion and fervor? <laughs> who's in the congregation but wishes they were up the front? <laughs> Um, and then who, who's on, um, on staff or is kind of in charge of choosing songs or leading bands, sort of worship leader? Final question. Anybody here into songwriting? Right. I feel like I've got your sussed out now. Any questions? No. No. What I want to say is, and, and I know you probably hear this a lot, but Vicky and I just want to say to you, thank you for all that you do for the kingdom of God. Sometimes uh, being involved in the worship life of a church can be a relentlessly thankless task you choose the wrong songs doesn't matter what song you choose it's the wrong song doesn't matter what beat doesn't matter what words doesn't matter what era you choose the wrong song thank you for sticking at it thank you for being faithful thank you for seeking to honor Jesus and thank you for spending hard-earned money to come and spend a week here we really appreciate it and we don't want there to be a barrier we're only sitting here so that you can see us. We're not sitting above you. We're sitting with you. And as we explore some of this stuff this week, we want you to know that we're kind of walking together in it all. Shall we pray? Thank you for your goodness, Lord. And thank you for each person here. Make us a family traveling together this week. Help us to learn from each other, to be challenged by one another, to be inspired. Thank you for Vicky. Thank you for the folk in front of me, the techie guys, for everybody that's going to make this venue work this week. Please teach us. Come and help us. Be at the center of all that we do and all that we are. And refresh these guys. Some of them have come really weary and tired. Just give them great encouragement and hope, I pray and meet with each of us. We are desperate for greater intimacy with you. And we thank you that you love us. Amen. Amen. If you were in the big top last night, which I'm guessing you probably were, you were, 
Um, you'll already have uh, heard about these two resources, but we're just going to mention them again this morning. Um, everyone will be talking about them in their zones. If you don't have a program planner, you might get lost this week. It has a map in the back, and it also has a kind of map, as it were, guiding you through everything that's happening um, on site. So if you are here and you're going, none of this makes sense, you might be missing one of these. Um, the theme guide is uh, the book that talks all about the theme this week. It's uh, written by my friend Gerard Kelly, and it's a really great book, even if you don't get a chance to read it here because you're being woken up by seagulls or, <laughs> you know, partying on down. Um, you could take this away with you and uh, just kind of let that material soak into your life throughout the year. Uh, both of those are available together for £8. And finally, we have the theme book called Church Actually, which um, is, is a kind of a book that's it's got the material from this week, but it's not actually tied to this week. So if you, you hear great teaching here this week and you go, oh, I would love to share that with a friend, this would be a great way to do it because it's in a book form. So uh, I think people will be able to use this long after the event. So do feel free to check out the resources and get everything uh, you need to equip you for the year. We are really keen for you to stay in touch with us. So there are several ways of doing that. Uh, firstly, uh, Twitter. Who is a tweeter? Welcome to the other 500 million people around the world that are tweeting. Please think about that. If you are on Twitter, uh, you can follow Vicky at Vicky Beeching, me at Malcolm J. Duncan. And if you hashtag SH2012, does any, those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, who doesn't this know what I'm talking related. about? This is not drug related. I've not just burst into tongues. Don't worry, you will not need an interpretation. Um, hashtag 2012 is uh, the hashtag that we can all talk together and find each other if we're talking about all the stuff that's happening this week at Spring Harvest. The bottom number is a text number. It's a conference number. It is not my normal phone number. <laughs> so if you call me on that number, I will not ever answer it. I don't answer it. It's a text number for conferences and events. And we'd love to have an ongoing dialogue. It's sitting here charging. I don't know there's a great reception in here, but there might be. Um, if you want to ask anything, if you disagree with anything, if you want to have a fight about anything, if you want to point out the theological niceties of something, genuinely, that enables us to learn together. It changes you from being an audience and turns us into a community. So don't, not very often do you hear this, but please turn on your mobile phone and use it so that we can communicate with each other and we can uh, talk together across the week. Yeah, and uh, we'll... Um Malcolm and I are both big Twitter addicts, and uh, so we'll definitely be checking our tweets, won't we, all day. So if you have any thoughts on this morning or things that you'd like to be different for tomorrow, you know, if you want different people teaching it, just, <laughs> <laughs> just let us know and we'll try and find someone else. Um, so we're going to be looking um, over the next few mornings at uh, the way we look at God, the way we look at each other and the way that we look at the world. And we're going to try and um, kind of have a really holistic approach to, to looking at worship. It's not just going to be about singing, is it? And it's not just going to be about church. Um, so the mornings are actually titled, and if anyone's taking notes, this is your big moment to uh, make a few. Um, the mornings are going to be titled uh, Looking Upwards, Looking Sideways, Looking Inward, and Looking Out. And it's the different ways that our worship is directed. Today is Looking Upward, uh, I'm going to talk a bit about who God is, the theology of his character, of his ways. Um, tomorrow we'll be looking sideways, the fact that worship is actually a horizontal practice as well as a vertical one. It's not just about us shutting our eyes and experiencing God. It's actually a community event, isn't it? We worship as a body. And sometimes that can be a good thing, sometimes that can be a bad thing. Because it means you're stuck with the people in your church and they have to be part of your worship. Um, day th um, the, uh, the third session will be looking inward. Us as um, worshippers before God in our character. Character is very important, isn't it? It is. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you as you. <laughs> I believe you. Uh, and then the final morning we'll be looking outward because we believe here at Spring Harvest that worship is inextricably linked to justice and mercy and uh, evangelization. And we can't just be stuck within our Christian bubble, can we? Worship is actually about the way we deal with people outside the walls. So are you looking forward to these mornings? I am, definitely. I think it's going to be really exciting. And I'm looking forward to... Somebody answered you. Oh. That's good. Participation yes. already. Two people in the front. Uh, Does that sound exciting? Do those topics? Yes. Uh, awesome. Thank you for the two texts that we've already had. One says, testing, testing, one, two, three. And the other one says, your flies are undone. Uh, no, no. <laughs> just kidding. No, I did have that happen to me last year. Uh, 
Somebody texted me and said, just to let you know, your zip needs to be pulled up. But that was nothing. The other one said, God bless you both. Aww. But I really think they only meant God bless me, not you. I would, I would think probably so, yeah. So this session, we are going to explore why and how we worship God through music and song. Uh, for many people, music and song seems to be an irrelevance. And we want to unpack together today what the Bible says about worship and how sung worship can change us as the people of God. We need to make a kind of caveat statement so that we don't end up having this conversation every day, I think, Vicky. And that is this. We recognize that worship is not just music and not just singing. And we know that for some, what you'd want to do every day is say, but it's not about singing and it's not about music and it's not about that. It's about we, we are assuming that we're on the same page with that. But this seminar stream is exploring how we can engage in whole life worship and where singing and music and corporate worship all fits together. This whole stream is about that. And we think that there's a, a space for re-energizing, for rediscovering the importance of that, for rediscovering the theology of it, and for learning that actually it gives us an energy and a passion and a release at our heart that can really enable us to be effective in all other aspects of the worship that we engage in. What we'd love you to do is just take a few moments now to talk about uh, where you're at, the church background you're from, and some of the challenges that you are facing and why you've chosen to come to Worship Zone. So we're going to do this throughout the week. You're not going to have lots of time. You're going to need to get into buzz groups really quickly. Some people think, I hate buzz groups. Just scowl at the people that are turning to look at you. <laughs> They'll just feel like they're back in their home church. Don't worry. Um, and just say, why are you here? Where are you from? Why are you in the Worship Zone? And if you want to, text some of your answers to us so we can share them or tweet them. On you go. Okay, let me share some of the things that you've said. Um, some, so they'll quieten down, don't worry. Some people in our church don't see why we need music to worship. It would be nice to be able to give them a proper theological answer. Because the Bible says you do. That's quite theological. I'm only kidding. Um, tackle the challenge of men and music worship. That's a really important question. Unless you turn all your songs into rugby anthems. <laughs> but then singing, he, he greets me with a sloppy wet kiss, doesn't get guys going, really. Well, not all guys. Um, is it fair to expect traditional church members to suddenly worship in a modern way? That's a good question. Very good question. Great, thank you. Uh, those are really excellent points. Thanks very much. Uh, Vicky. Oh, uh, oh, hold on. Oh, See, this is the, the joy. Two reasons I'm here. Uh, one is that I love Vicky Beeching. <laughs> Wait. But. And the other is that I could listen to Malcolm all day. <laughs> Thanks, Mum. <laughs> Glad your mother likes me. It's good. Good to know, good to know. Yeah, those questions are fantastic, so do keep them coming. Um, just keep kind of texting and communicating throughout uh, the sessions. And You'll hear it beep, when you're walking which around. means that you're engaging. If it beeps, yeah. you're engaging. Exactly. Because um, we really want to deal with the things that you're needing to ask about, so we don't want to just talk at you. It's very much whatever you need to talk about is the other topics that we'll address. Um, so today is looking up. And uh, I really like starting there. It's about us gazing at God and reminding ourselves who we worship and the reason for it all. Sometimes worship can, um, we can kind of get really, really tied up in the practicalities, can't we? That's the stuff that actually keeps us awake at night, right? Anybody agree with that? Like Malcolm was saying, it's about the fact that you always choose the wrong song and it wasn't quite right. And, the, you know, the bassoon player suddenly goes into a prophetic solo just when you didn't want him to. <laughs> Things like that. I have lived through those stresses, as have you. Um, and the people that won't just stop whittling on their instruments, they just see every moment is a chance for a solo, and you're like, shut up! But you can't say that, you have to say, bless you, that was wonderful. <laughs> and everyone's a volunteer, so you can't actually tell them what you think, because they have to come back again, or then it's just you, old muggins on your own, with one guitar. So... Um, we know what you're dealing with. Malcolm is um, a senior leader, obviously, so he's used to keeping people like us under control. And, uh, you know, we're used to working with people like Malcolm who, you know, keep us under control. 
<laughs> move along, Becky, move along. <laughs> no, so that's, that's kind of why we set up the worship zone this way. In, across all the sites and weeks at Spring Harvest, there is somebody who is a church leader slash theologian and someone who's a worship leader to really reflect that relationship because um, that's another key part of what we want to talk about. That, that is the kind of relationship that makes it or breaks it, isn't it? You and your church leader. Maybe some of you are church leaders as well, but um, we're going to be dealing with that. So looking up, God, the reason that we do what we do, we don't just need to be lying awake thinking about changing our strings or printing more chord charts. We, we need to be people who are consumed by who God is. And we want to come back to that today, to, re- to refresh ourselves about the why of worship. It's a great quote um, that says, uh, what you think about God is actually the most important thing about you. So let me ask you that this morning. What comes to your mind and your heart when I say to you, who is God? This is a rhetorical question. Or we could be here all day. Um, <clears throat> but who is, who is God to you? What does he mean to you? What is your mental, internal image of God? That will shape not only your worship, but your life. Everything about your ministry will flow from your picture of God, your understanding of who he is. If that picture is broken, your worship won't fully... Um, kind of reflect him. So it's crucial that we have a great theology of who we are looking up at. One of my soapbox issues is I think worship leaders need as much theological training as vicars, church leaders, preachers do. And it's not actually normal to go through a training process as a worship leader, is it? Um, I'm currently on staff at a theological college in Durham and the amount of theology that gets jammed into everyone's brains is fantastic. And they go off and lead churches and preach and teach. But worship leaders generally, if they can play three chords, you're out there. (laughs) And that's most of us, isn't it? (laughs) Um, So our training really happens kind of in a very informal way. And we're in church and we're listening to the sermon, but we're not actually getting theologically schooled. So the picture of God that you have, I encourage you, dig deep into the Bible. That's my Um, passion, that I would understand who he is more fully because that's what will make me and you better worship leaders. So spend some time this week actually thinking about who God is to you. When you're in the meetings, think about how that reflects your understanding of God and uh, just be kind of thinking that through this week. I think it's very important, isn't it? Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I think it's really important. And I think that Trinitarian worship um, is really important. It's what sets us apart it strikes me that one of the really interesting images for me, I'm sure you've picked this up, is um, when you read Isaiah chapter uh, 6, Isaiah's vision of God in the temple. Do you know the story? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Isaiah then goes on to discover a fresh mission for God. But his fresh mission for God springs out of a fresh vision of God. It's never the other way around. You cannot work your way back to a fresh vision of God. Otherwise, you become a religious legalist and you become aggressive in trying to get people into a place where they can see God. Actually, they've got to encounter God for themselves. And if you're not encountering them, it's very unlikely that they will. Yeah, Matt Redburn's got a great quote on that. He says, revelation leads to response. Revelation leads to response. And you can't respond if you haven't had any revelation. And we often spend a lot of our time responding in worship, don't we? But if we're not responding to a revelation or an encounter with God, who he is, having seen him like Isaiah did, um, it's really about looking up first at who he is and then out of that vision we respond. Um, I love that Malcolm mentioned Trinitarian worship. I think uh, one of the first things that we want to touch on today is in having an accurate vision of who God is. It has to be Trinitarian. And we don't actually talk and think about that very much, but that is one of the most unique things about the God that we worship, that he is three and he is one. But it's such a brain bender, isn't it, that you just don't really know how to explain it to your mates over a pint at the pub. And they're like, what? (laughs) Three or one? Both. Okay. (laughs) But he is, isn't he? And that is such a a precious and important part about who God is. And uh, when we worship, it's important that all elements of God are expressed. We're going to talk a lot about um, songs and songbooks over this week. And um, one of the things I like to think about is if aliens landed from some distant planet and they landed and they found the Spring Harvest songbook and they studied it as a text and they put together a picture of this God that we worship, what picture would they come away with? 
would it actually be of a Trinitarian God? And I helped put this songbook together, so I'm probably going to get into trouble. But I don't think it really would yet, because not enough of mm. our songs deal with that. I mean, yes, we have songs about the Father, and we have a lot of songs about Jesus, and a, a couple of songs about the Holy Spirit, don't we? But where, where are the songs that are actually talking about the fact that God is three and that God is one? These crucial doctrines that shaped the early church, that blew people's minds as they began to realize who God was and is. Um, I wonder if these aliens put our songbooks together, what they would come up with. Um, so the first thing we want to really encourage you to do is remember that God is Trinitarian. And as you plan worship, as you choose your songs, what are you saying to your churches? If your church members took your song lists from the last year, not saying that they're aliens, that's not where the parallel comes. <coughs> um, if they took your song lists, what kind of picture of God would they be putting together? Because people are coming to our churches, aren't they? And we are saying, this is who God is. And a lot about worship is saying, this is who God is. We're reminding people of who he is. They're singing words, aren't they? That we're basically putting in their mouths as song leaders, as, as musicians. What are we teaching them about the theology of the character of God? We encourage you to look at your set list. If you have them for the last year, who's really organized and has some kind of system? I knew there'd be a few of you. You're amazing. I can only imagine what that must be like. Um, <laughs> go through your notes and see what you're putting together. And then as you, as you put the next year's stuff together, think about which, which aspects of God you are really teaching your people about in the songs. There are a couple of tweets that are a couple of messages on the phone that are worth noting, I think, Vicky. Um, one is uh, from somebody, don't know who it is, that said, um, where does music and song worship fit in cafe church or in alternative church context? I think that's really important. So we'll make sure that we pick that up across the week. And the other one is this, quest, this point, which I think is really important. Uh, we, music is very important, but it should not dominate our gatherings. And I think there's a real problem with that. I, I agree completely. For some folk, church has become just singing. And when it's become just singing, it's a real issue. Because what we've done is we have warped what is a gift from God and we've turned it into a biblical imbalance. I went through a period in our church family last year where for a quarter, we, for a term, we said, actually, we're not going to have any organized lists. We're not going to have a big band. We're just going to simply come together. In fact, one of the guys on our worship team, Josh, is here, and he was part of that. And folk just turned up. The leader turned up with a guitar, and the congregation was um, encouraged. If you don't lead us, then nobody's going to lead us because you are the worship group, actually. And, and it's really important. And some of you might be here thinking, well, I'm not a worship leader, but I am really interested in worship. Thank God that you're here. Um, because wherever you are in your congregation, wherever you are in your church life, there are people around you who will be influenced by the way you respond to God. And if we only leave it to those that are on the platform to respond, and we think that it's their job, then we've misunderstood our theology. We need to get a, a better balance between um, the whole question of um, song worship and participation and community together. Yeah. But I think some of my friends, for example, I don't know if you have found this, some of my friends of my generation have thrown the baby out with the bathwater. They've got so jaded with predictable music and over singing that they've ditched the whole idea. And as a result, they're actually struggling, many of them. Some of them will just never sing. They don't like it, and that's fine. Not everybody needs to be a singer. Some people worship God powerfully through serving the poor, feeding the hungry, engaging with the community. If singing replaces that, then it's got into the wrong place in your head and your heart. But if it's alongside it, it's in the right place. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know a lot of people that have become sort of post-congregational in that they don't even gather as church anymore. And they would see singing as a very sort of trivial thing. But um, it's worth remembering how many times the Bible actually commands us to, to sing. Singing is an odd thing, isn't it? Um, it's one of those things that you wonder, in what other context would a group of people that are from such a diverse demographic sing together, other than in some kind of forced community gospel choir, um, or possibly at a football match? But I don't really go to football matches, so I can't really relate to that. But do you know what I mean? It's a very odd thing, isn't it, to sing together, and yet the Bible has so many commands all throughout the book of Psalms. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Sing to the Lord all the earth. It's actually a great Bible study if you ever get a chance um, to grab a uh, concordance 
and look in the back of the concordance, look up the word sing and song and see all the different times it shows up. And then it reminds us that this isn't just something culturally that we've put on ourselves as the church. It's something that very much came from God and um, that the detailed practices in the Levitical laws about how the temple worked and, and how singing and music and instrumentation were important, mm. it, it really is a massive part of what God is all about. I don't know why he chose singing and not cooking or you know belly dancing. I mean, it, it, when you literally think about it, when you step back, it is that random. It is, why singing? You know, why not juggling? But you know, God chose singing, and um, we're going to talk a little bit um, later on today about, about why we sing and what it actually does and what the, the amazing overflows of that are. Aren't we? So Vicky has uh, begun this conversation about who it is that we worship. Let's think about that a little more by reminding ourselves not just about God as Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Therefore, we need his power in worshiping. We need him to guide us. We are, only ever, we are always responding. Worship is always a response to who God is. It doesn't originate with us. Doesn't, it's not our idea. But let's also reflect on the character of God a little bit. And I think some of the things that I'm going to say in the next couple of minutes will sound a little bit out of kilter with much of modern thinking. I don't apologize for that, however, um, because I think sometimes modern, the way we think, needs challenged and brought back into right kilter with Scripture. God is holy and therefore demands a level of reverence and awe from us uh, when we come to him. And I think sometimes those of us in the newer church traditions lose that. He becomes God Almighty instead of God Almighty. And we've got to remember who he is. We've got to remember that he is holy other. He is entirely different from us. There's a, a great quote from the Swiss theologian Karl Barth, who in the 1940s said, God is not you with a loud voice. <laughs> but so often what we have done is we've made God look just like us. He, he likes our likes. He likes our preferences. He likes our music. He likes our style. Can I let you into a secret? Don't tell everybody because if the news gets out, it'll be quite difficult. God isn't a Protestant. <laughs> God the Father is not an evangelical. Jesus, even John the Baptist wasn't a Baptist. <laughs> Jesus is not from a reformed tradition. And the one that really blows people's minds, the Holy Spirit is not a Pentecostal. <laughs> we need to allow room in our worship for engaging with a God who is holy other. We need to allow room for mystery. We need to allow room for the dark hues and the light hues of life. The theologian Francis Schaeffer in 1956 said, our lives are written in two keys, a major key and a minor key. And if we only sing in a major key, remember this for your church family. If we only sing in a major key, we end up looking like Cheshire cats with a grin plastered on our faces. If we only sing in a minor key, we end up looking as if there's no hope and that we're at a funeral. But our lives are written in the major and minor key because God communicates through the major and the minor key. God wants us to be intimate. He wants us to be connected he wants us to be related to him. He's not only, there are two big theological words for God. I'm sure you know them. One is that God is transcendent, which means he is big. He's everywhere. There's nowhere where he is not. One of my favorite quotes is from the Dutch Reformed theologian, Abraham Kuyper. And write this down. He says this, he said it in about 110 years ago now. There is not one square inch of this planet over which God has not already proclaimed in a very loud voice, mine. There is nowhere where God is not. Now, my, when I was converted, I was taught something quite different. You can't go to the pub, God doesn't go to the pub. You can't dance, God doesn't dance. You can't go there, God doesn't go there. You can't do this, God doesn't do this. And I was taught holiness as a list of things that you didn't do. Were you taught that? You weren't allowed to mix with this type of people. You can tell I'm from a quite conformed, conservative background. You weren't allowed to say this. You weren't allowed to go here. You weren't allowed to do this. But within weeks, I realized I was sitting beside people in church and looking at them, and their faces were as long as Lurgan spades. That, do you know what that means? No? No. A Lurgan spade is a spade that digs peat, a big, long spade. They looked miserable. 
They were really far from God. They were not following him because they had designed holiness as this external thing that was all about what you didn't do. But the holiness that attracts us is not what God isn't. It's what God is. So our worship as we engage with the holy God needs to reflect who he is. And he draws us into intimacy with him. We need to sing. We need our worship. We need our music. Not just to be about God, but to be to God as well. There is something powerful. We're going to pick this up in a minute. Not just about singing to God. I love songs that address him. I'm talking to you, Father. I'm talking to you, Lord Jesus. I'm talking to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. I am acknowledging who you are. But there's also a space for singing songs about God. See what a morning gloriously bright with the dawning of hope in Jerusalem. Great stuff that stirs us and reminds us and challenges us and inspires us. Coming in thick and fast there. I'm going to have a look at these while you're talking. Perfect, I'll talk then. I'm still learning about the, uh, was it a Jürgen spade or a Lurgen? Lurgen. 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 <clears throat> I like that. Do you want me to tell you some of these? In most cultures around the world, singing is a vital part of everyday life, both in the routine and in the special. You might pick that up in a minute. We don't have enough text space. Oh, no. <laughs> we don't have enough laments in modern worship. I so agree. True. Our church has recently had a change of minister, and we seem to have taken a step back in time. We need to find a way to move forward again. Great insight on fellowship input into music worship. A canon at the cathedral is taking our Easter service. My worship leader clicked on reply instead of forward, and now the canon knows exactly what she thinks of her music choices. <laughs> oh, oh. I think um, we have pink cards for you to go and visit the pastoral team. We do, lots and lots of them. She's a volunteer and I can't say what I want. Oh no, God bless you. This is great, this is exactly what we want. So we need go, to remember yeah. that God is in the audience. God is the audience, not us. You've preempted a question later. Yeah. <sighs> I hate it when you get ahead of the game. <laughs> I'm here because I am a congregation worshipper who thinks God is calling me up to the front but I am really unsure if he is or if it is my desire. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will grant you the desires of your heart. As long as they're the right desires, they're right. You always have to have just a little thing, don't you? Of course, as long as they're the right desires. Britain's Got Talent also is taking, you know. The other thing that we voice. need to remember is that we are invited into this, I've, I've used the Greek word, mysterion of God, because this is the other thing that I'm going to say that I thought might be a little bit unpopular. The God of the Old and the God of the New Testament are not different gods. Despite how popular it has become to ditch the bits of the Old Testament that we can't explain, we have to hold intention. God as a God of justice and mercy and love and righteousness, but also as holy other and one who demands obedience from us. And I think there's a real problem. Let me tell you a little story before I pass back to you. Years ago, I really struggled with the authority of Scripture. I still do, by the way. I just have to tell you the truth about that. I, my relationship with the Bible is really like a relationship with someone who fights with something. And the Bible always wins. I liken it to Jacob's encounter with God at Peniel, where Jacob was struck in the hip. Do you remember the story? And walked with a limp for the rest of his life. I wrestle with the Bible, but God always wins. He hits me in the hip, and I am learning to walk with a limp. Years ago, 20 years ago now, I was on the verge of saying, I'm going to disregard the Old Testament and a, 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 or large parts of it. And a friend of mine said, Malcolm, Jesus never apologized for the Old Testament. So why do you feel the need to? He never apologized for his father. Why do you need to feel the need to? And I decided in a one moment, I could point to it in my journal. In that moment, I said, Lord, I don't understand your, the scripture and I don't understand you, but I do trust you. So I will submit all of my questions under my trust and I will seek to live in obedience. Somehow in worship, we have to be invited into the mystery of who God is, not just the stuff that we like. It is a tough one. And I think that's one thing that we do want to be um, up here, isn't it? We want to be honest and we want to really kind of tell you what we struggle with, what our questions are, because 
um, as worshippers, we are our, our role is basically to take people by the hand and lead them to God. And as we lead them, people are going to have honest questions. And I think the best way we deal with that is by being honest ourselves. And uh, I've definitely struggled with that. The Old Testament, the you know, slaying of men, women, and children, things like that. These are the the small questions that I tend to get asked over breakfast at theological college. You know, <laughs> pouring out my shreddies, and someone's like, "So, you know, the psalm where it says about smashing babies' heads against rocks." Why is that okay? And I'm thinking, I've just woken up. <laughs> but they're big questions, aren't they? And I think when we rattle off pat answers, they're not actually going to keep a generation that is searching for authenticity. So we worship intention, don't we? There is that mystery, that tension of we worship a God that we know, that we love, that we understand, and yet we worship a God who we don't really know and we don't really understand. And that is his holiness, and that is his mystery, and that is okay. So this is a place where you can ask any kind of questions this week, even if you're someone here who is an upfront worship leader, maybe who's actually struggling with faith in general, with integrity in general. You know, wherever you're at, we want to invite you to just be honest about that and we'll be honest about our struggles. So we've looked at the who of who we worship, who God is, and uh, feel free to keep thinking that over ask us any questions if you want to ask about the mystery or the trinity or the the stuff we've touched on um we're going to look now about why we worship and i'm going to come back to that um that thing about singing that i was talking about before um why singing is important i've already said that it's uh, numerous times commanded in scripture and that it is music particularly that god has asked us to bring to him a good question someone asked me recently was this. Why do we sing to God? Does he need us to stroke his ego? <laughs> Difficult question, eh? This was also over breakfast. <laughs> I think it was the same day as the dashing of the heads against the rocks. That was a bad morning. Um, <clears throat> does God need us to stroke his ego? Why is God commanding us to say nice things to him? Would we do that? You know, it's like, I'd love it if you could just say some nice things about me. We would hate that, wouldn't we? If you're going out with someone or you're married to someone and they just sort of stand in front of you and say, tell me how beautiful I am today, darling. It's not a great way to build the relationship, is it? You'd think, wow, you are so arrogant. <laughs> um, and yet that's what God says in scripture. If you look at it in the cold light of day, he says, tell me that I'm amazing. Tell me that I'm good. Tell me that I'm faithful. Rehearse the great things that I've done. And you could think, why do we do that? But the truth of it is, it's actually for our own good. God knows what we need. He knows that we need to remember who he is and what he's done. He doesn't need that at all. And that's a crucial part of the theology of worship. God does not need anything. He is completely and utterly all sufficient. And yet he chooses to ask us to worship him for our own good. Because in worshiping him, we remember who we are. Is anybody like the Lion King? It's a little bit embarrassing. Glad there's a few hands there. Bit of a sappy kind of cartoon movie, but one of my favourites. I love the bit where um, <laughs> Mufasa says to Simba, remember who you are. That was my lion voice, if you couldn't tell. Um, sounded a bit like Marge Simpson, didn't it? Uh, yeah, remember who you are. And Simba's sort of going, oh, I remember, I remember. And he's looking at his dad and going, okay, I'm the, I'm the son of a king. This is how I fit into the world. This is my identity. And when God commands us to worship, it's not about us making him feel good. It's us remembering who we are because in looking at him and, and remembering his power and greatness and that he is our father, we remember who we are. So if you ever go to church and you don't feel like singing, you don't feel like worshiping, you think, why do I bother? Just remember, it's actually not for him primarily. I think it's actually about him loving us enough to say, you remembering me is actually about you remembering who you are, where you fit, that you're my child, that you're loved, that everything's okay. It's a good thing to remind our congregations too. Often congregations can come in and look a bit weary. Anybody ever get those glazed expressions? The folded arms, the rolling eyes, the person at the back trying to... Yeah, seriously. I, I love looking at people when they're worshipping because people can sometimes look so gormless. Um, <laughs> In a nice way, and I'm sure I do when I'm, when I'm sitting there, but like, you know, people will come up to me afterwards and they'll say, that was the best worship time ever. And when I was looking at them, they were like, and you're like, really? You could have fooled me. Um, but um, it's, it's all about reminding people why they're there, isn't it? Sometimes people don't look like they want to come to church. They come out of commitment, which is fantastic. 
But sometimes there's a sense of, I just don't want to give anything to God. So let's remind our, our people that actually, as you, as you sing, you're the one that, that benefits. You're the one that remembers who God is and what he's done for you. So it's not about us stroking God's ego at all. It's not because he needs it. He's not on a power trip. He's all sufficient. And he's invited us into this exchange of singing about who he is to remind us where we fit. He also, um, it's a command to worship. There's a a great quote from Augustine that says, um, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And those of you that are old enough to remember Bernard Levin, the Times columnist, uh, said that there is a, a hole in people's lives. And no matter how much television or sex or drugs or alcohol or money or career they push into it, the hole is still there. Because the only thing that will fill it is Christ. Mm. Worship. G.K. Chesterton, the, uh, the priest and author, uh, once said, um, if men and women stop worshipping God, it's not that they don't worship anything. It, it do, it's not that they, don't, they worship nothing. Mm. Instead, they will worship anything. Mm. And I think that's true. There is this a second reason for why we worship God is not only because he reminds us of who we are as we worship him, But we were made to do this. There is a part of human nature which is made to engage with God in worship. And if we don't engage with him in worship, we will worship something else. But we are called and made that way. I think there's another interesting thing about worship that um, is worth mentioning. When we join together as a congregation, we're actually not just answering um, the call of our own inner DNA where we're wired to worship. We're actually joining with all of creation and all of the heavenly realm who are always worshipping. Revelation 4 is one of my favourite pictures of this. Um, It it talks about John and uh, it said that he was on the island of Patmos. He was in the spirit, which I guess means he was having a quiet time. And uh, he saw a door opened in heaven and uh, it it led him into another realm. And it's an interesting concept, isn't it, that we, we do have different realms. We have the realm of what's going on on the earth right now and somewhere there is a realm in heaven isn't there um malcolm and i were talking the other day about the fact that jesus Mm. is actually still jesus isn't he yes and so malcolm was asking me you know where is jesus right now and jesus is clearly not walking around on the earth so he has to be somewhere else so in that sense there is another realm because there is a place where the physical um embodied jesus human who rose from the dead God man is actually seated at the right hand of God. And people get that really confused all the time because scripture also says Christ lives in you the hope of glory, but that doesn't mean the physical resurrected Christ. Mm. And we end up getting really confused about that theology, don't mm. we? Yeah, we do. So people might think it's kind of um spooky to say that there's another place somewhere where other things are happening, but there is actually. Uh, whether it's outside of time or how we, we want to imagine it, um somewhere Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and in that place there is worship that goes on 24/7. 365, and that's not even a correct analogy, is it? Because there isn't any time there. Uh, But there is perpetual worship. So on the earth, when we join together and sing, we're actually joining a much greater song that never ends. And uh, I think if there's people here who are from smaller congregations, that can actually be a real encouragement because you might think there's only... You know, 10, 15 of you gathered, maybe even less if it's a midweek prayer meeting and you're singing together and it feels like there's hardly anyone there, but really you're joining with this other vast reality. So I'd encourage you to look at Revelation 4, the picture of worship that it paints, and just remember that you're actually joining together with this incredible song and that you're not alone. Far from it. We are, we are part of a massive corporate eternal song. It's such a beautiful thing that to be reminded, thanks Vicky, that um, if we're on our own or we're with a couple of people or we're in a really struggling church that we think is dry and the music isn't right and Mm. all of that stuff the minute we turn our hearts with intentionality toward God to worship him we join with an endless song it's just so powerful it changes Mm. everything I guess that leads me on to making this point folks and that is that God invites us to worship him and to encounter him and in so doing we remember who he is. Worship is never initiated by us. It's never initiated by you. It's always a response to the God that we have seen. And we see that in the Old Testament, where we see really what we would describe as an oral tradition emerging. We talk about God now, who he is, what he's done. But we do that because the people of Israel did that. As they journeyed through their own pilgrimage with God from Abraham all the way through to Malachi, 
at the end of the Old Testament with Nehemiah and Ezra longing for God to do something. We see them periodically tell stories to one another. They remind each other of who God is and what he's done. The Psalms are full of it. Some, some of the Psalms that say uh, he is good and his love endures forever are full of these promises, these reminding stories, this oral tradition that says when we think back about where we've been and where we have faced dangers and difficulties, God has been there. And they build cairns, they build stones, they set memorials, they remember who God is. But they also sing to each other. They write poems and songs and they set them to music as a means of reminding each other who the God is that they are encountering. And just as they do that, we do that too. The New Testament has uh, several examples of hymns, early doxologies, confessions written to remind us of who God is. And we do the same thing in our lives together. When we remember who God is, we also begin to remember what he's like. That's why songs like You Are Good and Your Love Endures Forever or um, uh, songs that remind us of, the, of, of, of pouring out our praise and our worship to God. When we remember what he's done, faithful ones, so on, changing, or old hymns like Great Is Your Faithfulness, we look back. And this invitation into worship with God is not simply an invitation to recount things about him. It's an invitation to recount things about him as they have touched and changed our lives. Mm. We remember what he's like. We remember what he does. And it's, to me, an amazing thing that God has invited us into that kind of intimacy and relationship with him. Singing is important in that because it releases emotions. Music releases emotions and feelings in our hearts that we can focus in on God. One of the hardest our most wonderful things I think that is true about scripture, and I know you're going to pick this up in a moment or two, Vicky, is this idea that God himself sings over us. He invites us to sing to him and to worship him, but he also sings over us. Somehow we need to be in the place where we not only remember who God is, but we remember that he is for us and not against us, and that changes everything. Mm. There's something I want you to do now, folks, if that is possible. I want you to think about this question. Who's involved in our worship? And there are four questions that I want you to think about and uh, get into buzz groups and do that. Question number one, in a worship context, who is the audience? Question number two, who is the conductor? Question number three, who is the choir? And question number four, who is the orchestra and I'm sure you will have lots of different views on that but I really look forward to hearing what they are. So uh, that was an interesting conversation Vicky, lots of ideas and lots of things being buzzed about. Uh, who's the audience do you think when it comes to worshipping God? It's a really interesting one. I, I noticed that most of the people in our buzz groups gave us totally different answers and I think it, it does show um, the blurring of the lines, which I think is a really good thing. It's um, less about us doing something to a congregation. You know, we're not the performers, they're not the audience. It's it's actually all about the audience of one who is God. Um, and in some senses, he he leads the worship, doesn't he, in drawing us in the first place. In other senses, we lead the worship as we draw the people. But one thing I think we have to keep in mind is the fact that we are not each other's audience as the church. Um, and it must be really hard for you to do that sometimes because, you know, because you are such an excellent worship leader and Aww. you can end up having people looking at you as if you somehow are the one that is at the centre of the thing, but you do it beautifully. How do you keep in focus that you are first and foremost a worshipper before you are a worship leader? Mm. I think it's about the things that happen in private. I remember when I was um, about 14 and I was about to lead worship for the first time ever, um, my youth leader sat me down and said, uh, he gave me this picture of an iceberg and he said that you have to remember with public worship, it has to be literally the tip of the iceberg. And there's this massive amount of, of private worship that happens uh, away from anyone that no one else sees. It's just you and God. And if that's sort of the massive majority of your life and the public bit is a tiny bit that everybody sees in the surface, then you'll actually outweigh the public um, and you'll outweigh the kind of positive or negatives that you hear from people because you just are rooted in that as your kind of lifestyle, um, a lifestyle of worship. That was very helpful. It's not unlike when you're a preacher, you know, often um, as a preacher, particularly when you're preaching to large crowds, you can end up feeling as if everybody's looking at you and you're somehow this font of all wisdom and you're the one that's going to bring them answers. And it helps me to remember in those contexts that I'm really only a glorified drain pipe. 
And all I need to be is true to the God that is present. I need to let him move. And if I can get out of the way and let his word Mm. be heard, then that'll make a difference. And and, and also helps me when it's not going so well, actually. When people are giving me dirty looks or you have that (laughs) moment of people saying, I wish he'd shut up because he's not doing a great job. It reminds me that if I'm faithful, then God does the rest. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so far this morning, just to recap, we've looked at who we worship and we've looked at why we worship and uh, we're going to move on for the remaining um, 10 minutes or so about how we worship. And um, I touched on earlier the uh, the funny reality of the fact that we're asked to sing and that when you step back and look at it, it actually can seem quite random. You know, why didn't God ask us to bring him an offering of uh, cookery or synchronized swimming? Why <laughs> singing? I mean, it's a, something that God has specifically set apart in scripture. It says very clearly we're supposed to sing to the Lord. And um, Malcolm hinted at it a moment ago. We, we actually do know that singing has incredible properties. It actually uses the whole body and mind and spirit. And it does amazing things to groups of people. Um, like I said earlier about football and chanting, it, it unites people. And um, one other thing I think singing does that really helps us as a generation is it focuses us. I don't know about you, but I'm surrounded by gadgets, um, an iPhone and an iPad, and I'm always online. And uh, it creates a very ADD kind of culture. Uh, And I think singing is amazing because it uses all of us. It uses our bodies, our vocal cords. Um, Usually when we're singing, we're we're looking around either at words on a screen in church or in a book. Or perhaps if we're in a football match, we're looking at each other or the team. It uses our minds to remember the words. It uses our um, breath and our energy to make the sound. And it uses our heart and our emotions because usually when you sing, you're sort of meaning what you're saying. So... It's a very kind of all-encompassing, focusing nature to singing. Um, do you find that in your church? Do you find that it's a good way to kind of get everybody united singing one message? Yeah, I do. And there are times, I think, when uh, the congregations that I'm engaged with sing, and it just brings into such sharp focus uh, what God is doing. Do you know when, I don't know if you remember in school when you used a microscope and you'd look down through it at something in a science or chemistry class or something, and you'd twiddle the knob on the side, and eventually it would just come into focus. A bit like setting up a PowerPoint projector now. You play with the focus thing, and suddenly it comes into focus, and it looks so clear. I think singing and worship together as a community, and as an individual, actually, helps me to do that. Sometimes it just brings into such sharp focus who God is and the sense of his power and presence. Mm. Yeah, I love that um, God worships in the same way that we do. I mean, not worships in the same sense, but um, he sings over us. It's not worship, it's love, isn't it? It's the, the giving of love. He he sings his love over us. Um, Zephaniah um, 3.17 is the, the passage we were kind of hinting at earlier. If you uh, have a Bible, feel free to turn to it. It says that God um, delights over us with singing. It's an incredible thought that God actually is a singing God. One of my favorite pictures of that actually is um, from C.S. Lewis, um, Chronicles of Narnia. It talks about Aslan the creation of the world and Aslan's walking around this giant lion and he begins to sing and as he sings creation comes to life or the the plants spring up and um, life is born and I imagine God singing um, in Genesis 1 when I think about creation uh, he sang the world into being it doesn't say that in Genesis and it's not in the Hebrew but um, it just seems like a beautiful idea that maybe God sang things into being and that he sings them into being over us so um, that Zephaniah 3 passage for me is really precious because I think um, when we sing, we're, we're kind of made in his image. So you can imagine him singing life into all the sort of dry and weary parts of our lives. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Really powerful. And it links really wonderfully, I think, into the theme for today across the site, which is let them shine. And we sometimes can take that in lots of different directions, but there's this beautiful picture at the center of it of an individual or a community simply being what God wants them to be, being the person or the people that he's called them to be. And I don't know about you, Vicky, but um, I think in the last few years, maybe it's just the circles that I move in, but in the last few years, I've seen more and more people say to me, oh, I don't do singing, I don't like singing, I, I'm not into singing, it's not my thing. And I have sympathy with people who feel like that. I don't want to dismiss them. I don't want to tell them they have to sing. And yet at the same time, I want to hold on to the power of singing and music. I love it. It it brings such a release to me. And rather than saying to people, well, if you don't sing, it's fine. I want to kind of encourage them in and say, well, try. 
Find the music that suits you. Find the lyrics that suit you. But try. I'm reminded of two stories in the New Testament that I think could have just as easily been told in the 21st century. I don't know what you think about them. The first one is the story of the woman who comes and anoints Jesus' feet and washes them with her hair. And she's criticized for it because it's, it's extravagant. She breaks the alabaster box a year's wages. It's just too much money. It's a waste of time. And the second is the story of Judas, um, who looks at this and says, that money could have been used to serve the poor. And I think the response of Jesus, which is the poor you will always have with you and leave her alone is really powerful because I think sometimes, I don't know if you feel this, but sometimes because I do love song worship, I, I feel as if sometimes people trivialize it with me and they make me feel almost guilty or as if I'm being frivolous because I think it's important to worship God. But there is a mystery here. Mm. He releases something when we praise him, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And I think um, one of the battles that I face as a worship leader is um, it's the sense that worship is warming people up for the preaching or uh, it's just a useful kind of segue where people can... Uh, I don't know, it's like when you have different courses in a restaurant and they serve you like sorbet in between <laughs> to kind of clean your palate. I've been in so many situations. Does where that mean you're my sorbet? <laughs> I think it does, <laughs> but I'm not. Um, there's so many different situations where I go and lead worship and I'll hear people planning a meeting and I'll, they'll say, oh, we've got, you know, uh, we've got a Bible reading and then we've got a drama and then we've got, um, you know, the offering and then we've got the sermon and they kind of punctuate it with a song here and there just to kind of... I've heard people literally say, you know, just to get people on their feet, to kind of shake off the dust and kind of wake them up a bit. And then when they sit down again, they'll be ready to hear the next thing. And that, for me, is not what singing is all about. I mean, it does have that effect, doesn't it? It does sort of wake people up with a bit of music. And um, but I think we need to remember that it's, it is um, actually a very, very important part of a meeting. I'd say as important as the preaching um, yeah, I would too. Be. And it's interesting, isn't it, that we have uh, folks who you have here in front of you, um, um, a worship leader and a pastor. Mm. Um, and, and we've deliberately chosen that, haven't we? Because I know that there are many people that I encounter who think that music and song worship is nothing but the warm-up act for me. But I, I, I think that's a, a fundamentally flawed position. Because I've seen God, I wish, sometimes I wish it wasn't this way around, but it, it is. I've seen God do more in a song that was led in the spirit and opened somebody's heart than a year of preaching. Mm. This one moment when somebody is met by God. Mm. And, and I, th I want to resist the idea that the, 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 the worship leader is the warm-up act. Mm. And I want to resist the idea that the music is nothing more than mood music, you know, like supermarket music or music in a restaurant. But I also want to hold on to the tension that the preaching of the word is really important. Mm and that the two have to work together like two sides of a plane. They keep the fuselage up. Mm. And I think that I need people like you to constantly prod me and say, look, Malcolm, you, you need us to help you into the presence, mm. the awareness of the presence mm. of God. But yeah. you need people like me to say, yes, and you need me and what I'm doing so that we can bring the proclaimed word mm. together. Yeah, and it is dangerous because I have seen lots of churches go down the route of actually abandoning preaching and often... Um, services and you know i'm not going to name any churches but lots of churches do sort of become so spirit-led they would call it that they would just say oh people just want to keep singing actually we're not going to have a sermon today and we're just going to continue to worship and then we're going to go into a ministry time and uh, that for me is really sad because uh, i think it's always important for us to make time for the preaching of the word because if we're not responding to scripture then we're actually not really responding to what the Lord is saying. We were responding to, you know, the, the other ways he reveals himself, but it's very important, isn't it, to have biblical teaching. Otherwise, you end up, if you do that, say, half of your Sundays out of the year, you've actually kind of got 50% less teaching than you could have had. And it's the, the opposite, not the opposite. There's another, there's another dimension to this, isn't there? Um, when people make this false separation, and it's great that we're working together because we're kind of trying to bring it back together again. When they bring this false separation, they make another two assumptions, I think, which I hadn't thought of until just now. And one is that there is no preaching taking place during the singing, when, of course, if the songs are well-crafted and doctrinally founded, grounded, then preaching is taking place during the singing anyway, and there is no worship being, taking place during the preaching. But if the preacher has come before God and thought and prayed and is delivering what she or he has received from God faithfully, then it is just as intimate an act of worship 
So it's actually true to say that in, in singing, there is preaching, and in, pre- and in preaching, there is worship. Yeah. And across this week, we're going to be looking at more and more of this. Um, do you want to explain, Vicky, to the folks the way in which, just remind us, because we looked at it earlier on, but the way in which we're going to look at this over the next few days. We've looked today at looking up. Um, where else are we going to be looking in this journey? Do I need to bring bigger glasses? <laughs> you might do. Uh, so, yeah, we've looked up at who God is and his character and his ways and uh, the, the reasons why we worship him through singing. Um, tomorrow we're going to be looking around us, we're looking sideways, and that's going to be um, a reminder that our worship isn't actually just vertical. It's also horizontal. It's not just about us um, closing our eyes and getting on the uh, kind of into our own individual journey with God. It's actually about um, a kind of corporate experience. We worship as a body. We're not just called to be individual Christians doing life on our own. We're called to actually worship kind of as a family and the, the good and bad elements of that. Um, our third session altogether is going to be looking inward. We're going to be uh, kind of pondering the character and the heart of the kind of people that God is looking for as worshippers, the kind of people that we need to aspire to be uh, in order to lead people well. And then the final morning together is going to be looking out where we're going to explore the uh, the inextricable link between worship and mission and justice. And I'm excited about that one. It's really great, isn't it? And I guess what we're trying to do with giving you the opportunity to text and to tweet, you can text uh, Vicky at, at Vicky Beeching is her uh, Twitter name, and you can tweet me at, at Malcolm J. Duncan. Um, what we're trying to do is not just be clever and gadgety, what we're trying to do is create a community here mm-hmm. that is actually worshipping in our reflections, in our discussions, and in our dialogue. And we're also trying to show folk that the tensions that could exist between pastors and worship leaders mm-hmm. can be overcome if they simply listen to each other, mm-hmm. uh, walk together, and are honest about those struggles. Yeah, and also, um, we're aware that these are being um, recorded and sold. So if people are listening to this outside of the event and you're not actually at Spring Harvest, maybe you bought the, the set or somebody's given you them, um, those Twitter names still obviously work so if you're doing that on your own feel free to tweet myself or Malcolm whatever year it is or month it is and um, let us know that you're listening to the 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 teachings and if you have any questions you can just tweet us um, or uh, yeah get in touch we've both got blogs mine's vickybeaching.com what's yours Malcolm? You'll find mine if you google um, thin places or it's malcolmduncan at typepad.com yeah, so you feel free to get in touch with us. We'd love that, wouldn't we? We want this to be wider than just here at Spring Harvest. These tapes and CDs are going to be available. Um, well, they won't be tapes, will they? I think Gosh. they'll be CDs. I think you're going to get a bit old-fashioned. You see, that's what happens <laughs> when you're in a Spring Harvest week. The world becomes um, another place. God bless you all and have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow morning.